This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 1st, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. When terrorists kill people in Manchester as they leave a concert, we worry and we feel compassion. When terrorists kill people in Afghanistan, we tend to worry less and consider those lives less seriously, if at all. To the extent that the U.S. contributes to the lack of stability in countries like Afghanistan, it's reasonable for us to step back and view American war-making for what it is. Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. As of this recording, it was uh, not quite a week ago when we heard about an explosion, uh, terrorism, at an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, uh, UK. And then earlier this week, we hear about a bombing in Afghanistan, also terrorism, that uh, killed, as far as we know right now, about 90 people. And the way that those two events have been discussed is just, is just very different. And that strikes me as a problem. Right. So I think there are at least two um, uh, somewhat ex- sort of exclusive or at least distinct explanations for why um, the news media reports terrorism attacks and terrorism deaths differently depending upon who the victims are. Um, the first has to do with the news media's sort of biological inclination to cover things that are new or different or surprising. Uh, uh, you know, man bites dog, right? That's the cliche. And so the the tragic fact is that terrorist attacks inside of Afghanistan or, for that matter, inside of war-torn countries, Syria, Iraq, Somalia, others, countries that have experienced very long periods of lawlessness, terrorist attacks inside of those countries are perhaps not quite routine but certainly not uncommon. And so reporting on a bombing, even when it claims a considerable number of lives as the most recent one did, uh, is less likely to be seen uh, as news, frankly. Uh, It's not as newsworthy as, by contrast, an attack at a pop concert in a major Western city. Um, Thankfully, terrorist attacks in uh, outside of war zones are quite rare. Um, And uh, and so it, it doesn't surprise me or frankly trouble me all that much if that is the main explanation for why we cover um, terrorist attacks in major Western cities differently than we do terrorist attacks in uh, Central Asia or the Middle East or North Africa. And, and, and some of this is, you know, there have been, you know, horrific uh, deaths in, uh, you know, the Soviet Union mm-hmm. in yes. China yes. In, the, in the 20th century. And in the West, we have come to know about those things often years after the fact. Mm-hmm. And part of it, it, it seems it seems a problem that is fairly intractable, which is it's hard to have a lot of reporters in war zones mm-hmm. 
sure. who are who are able to talk about the hopes and dreams and aspirations of young people uh, who are killed the same way that we would about uh, teenage girls or preteen girls in Manchester. Sure, that's that's absolutely correct. And again, that's no fault of uh, reporters who try and often at great risk to themselves to try to cover precisely those sorts of stories because they're hard to get, but their their access is is without question, uh, it's much easier uh, to cover a story in Paris or St. Petersburg or or Berlin or or Manchester. So it seems a to the extent that the problem is intractable, it seems natural that this kind of thing will continue where some lives that are uh, struck by uh, terrorism are, as far as a news consumer is concerned, more important than others. Right. But that's where I'd, I'd highlight my second explanation for why people react to uh, different people's deaths differently. Um, and that is uh, terrorism functions because of its apparent randomness and its apparent sort of ubiquity. Again, we, we should pause and recall that terrorist incidents are exceedingly rare. However, the fear that at any moment uh, someone could be a victim of terrorism is what makes terrorism work or why people are so frightened, so much more frightened of terrorism than they are of other things that are far more likely to kill them. Um, and so thinking about Manchester, the reaction of many um, uh, Americans uh, looking at an American pop singer uh, and the audience that she attracted would be not so different at all, frankly, from an audience that she would that she would uh, sing before in Chicago or Los Angeles or New York or you know Worcester, Massachusetts, um, and in that sense, the the perception that that could have been my daughter, that could have been my sister, um, is much more pronounced uh, than it is when the attack occurs in a place like Afghanistan, which to most Americans is very distant, obviously not to people of Afghan descent living in the United States, but to the vast majority of Americans who have no Central Asian uh, ancestry, it looks even more distant uh, than, uh, than anything else. And so that's, I think, a somewhat separate explanation for why we react differently. Uh, it's not merely a function of news coverage and what what is reported, but it's also a function of how we as human beings react to a violence perpetrated against people who are like us. I would make a small, um, not so much an exception, but I would make sort of a, a, add a caveat to the level of concern that Americans have or arguably should have for the plight of Afghan civilians uh, who are victims of terrorism or they're obviously family members of, of, of terrorist victims. Um, and that is that uh, when Colin Powell uh, famously warned George W. Bush 
that uh, if we go into Iraq, uh, you know, we will own Iraq. The United States at some level is implicated in what is happening in a place like Afghanistan where the United States has been involved not merely for the last 16 years, not merely since 9-11, but of course the United States had a very important role to play in the 1980s. Um, and so I think there's an additional factor uh, in terms of whether or not we do and should pay attention to what happens in places like Afghanistan or Iraq where the United States uh, was present in large numbers as opposed to a place like uh, Democratic Republic of Congo uh, where we have not been and we are not in any way implicated. And I think um, at a minimum, we should ponder that fact that uh, if you break it, you own it and therefore my, my, my takeaway from that is don't break it. Uh, but of course, quite a number of other people would take an entirely different perspective which is it's going to be broken anyway, so we will, we might as well fix it. It, it almost seems as if the, the only hope in uh, making these deaths in war zones, deaths that are victims of terrorism, let's be clear, um, it, it seems that social media is, is, is one of the only ways that I am aware of that can possibly bring these people's uh, lives and, and have Americans and other people who... Uh, are tacitly al allowing these wars to continue, uh, bring attention to these lives that that do matter. Right, I agree with that. I I think there is um, a sort of uh, there is a crowdsourcing element of this that could work fairly well. I, I wrote after the Manchester bombing. Um, and sort of dwelling on a number of other mass killings, some of which we call terrorism, others of which we don't, um, that the worst possible thing we can do is um, celebrate the perpetrators of these acts. Uh, one of the best things we can do is remember the victims and, and remember their lives uh, and then, I hope, uh, allow that remembrance to not become uh, a, uh, a a shell, you know, a sort of withdrawing into a shell and saying, "I never, that's never going to happen to me because I'm never going to go to a concert again. That's never going to happen to me because I'm never going to go to, uh, you know, a marathon again." Uh, those sorts of responses are precisely the wrong sorts of responses. They're the responses that the perpetrators of these acts want. And so uh, my approach and that of others of us who have written about this at Cato over many years is to deny uh, by, by force of will uh, that which the terrorists most want, which is to frighten us. Um, it's harder, it's, it's much easier said than done, uh, but it does take an act of will even at a very individual level. And I think that, that as you say, sort of social media and crowdsourcing can help um, to focus on what matters which is uh, living our lives uh, as free people uh, and not succumbing to fear. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>